The Athletic. Hello and welcome to From the Rookery, a Watford football podcast about a life following the greatest team in the world, brought to you by The Athletic. My name is John and on this Sunday morning there is a feeling of jubilation as it has been 91 days since Watford last won. That was 12 matches and 1,080 minutes of not having that final whistle feeling of pure relief. Everything that we felt at Villa Park yesterday as Watford were victors in a 1-0 win over Aston Villa. I'm joined by Jason. Good morning. And Michael. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. The feeling today is, is one of relief. And in fact, I, I, so much celebration, we didn't get to do it. So let's have Christmas over again. So it is Merry Christmas, Christmas everyone. Christmas. But listen, Michael, listen. Look to the future now. It's only just begun. <laughs> Has it only just begun? We do not know. Has this comeback for the Hornets only just begun? Was it Neil Warnock that, that started having this Christmas party? No, Bassett. In... Bassett. Dave Bassett. Bassett. Dave All right, Bassett. Okay. Yeah. Edit point there, John. We don't want to mention him on such a wonderful day. <laughs> John, I hope you're not suggesting that Watford wins come just once a year. Oh no, no, no! I hope they don't. I hope there are. I hope there are five more. Let, let's talk about where we started yesterday, Michael. The beginning of the day, or at least the last few podcasts, there was a, a crying from some places, particularly Adam. We need to be on the front foot. We need to push these things forward. You and DCW, especially on, on you last week, and and also in the midweek podcast, you were sort of saying. You know, you understood where Roy was pitching this Watford team for what he had to pick from. You saw that that changed eleven from Watford. You know, we had you know Foster, Kamara, Cathcart, Samir, and Kiko in the back four, unchanged. A cleverly loser and Sissoko midfield and up front, trying to get all the goals with King, Saar, and Dennis. Did that feel like we were going to at least be trying? On Saturday, when you saw that lineup come out at two o'clock. Before we start, I've heard a lot of people say that, that Watford's win at Aston Villa was a was a surprise, a shocking result, if you like. I would like to point you. I'd like to point out that we have a from the Rickery end predictions game where we predict the score <laughs> of every single Premier League fixture. Don't really mind which one of you says yeah. says who says what it was, but can you remind um, me what my prediction was for this game? Oh, gladly do. You can you can talk to the player who is currently top of the, from the <laughs> league, and he will say yes. Well done, Mike. You predicted a one 0 win for Watford. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I look forward to the uh, person in charge of this game uh, confirming what my prize is. But to talk about the to talk about the game itself and. And I think I still think the terminology you used there, John, is interesting. Is about being on the on the front foot, and I don't think that's necessarily still the case. I don't think we were on the front foot. I think what the what we want or what I want is for this side to be able to 
transition from keeping the opposition at bay and then flipping and taking an opportunity. And I think to be able to do that, you have to have a side that's set up in in a certain certain way. You have to be able to create something to win the win the games, right? The inclusion of Imran Loser, I think, gave me hope. I, I thought it's going to be interesting to see if if how much ground we seed in the middle of midfield with with him in there. How much sort of you give up in terms of control is perhaps the wrong word, but just sort of bodies in there defensively. You know, do we lose a little bit of protection in front of that front four if he comes in in trying to be a bit more free flowing when we have got the ball? So that was exciting, I guess, is in one way, but a bit of trepidation as well. And then, of course, Ismail Assar starting, having a full week of training under his belt. Can he translate that, that wonderful time he'd had with, with Senegal, that confidence that you would assume he would have picked up being away from the squad and with Senegal winning that first African Cup of Nations for for his country? Can he translate that into uh, into performances on the pitch for Watford? And it gives me enormous delight to say that both players appear to have fulfilled their roles pretty much perfectly at Villa Park yesterday. But but yeah, I think they they were the changes you would hope to see. I think when taking everything into consideration that we've talked about, taking everything into consideration we've seen, we we had to do something. You know, us all as armchair managers and head coaches were going to make the changes. They would be the ones I assume that that would have been made, and and they came off, didn't they? They certainly did. And um, you were saying those two players played very well, Jason. Not quite the same outcome when it came to who the BBC Sport website thought were the the best players of the game. Yeah, I was I was quite amused looking at uh, <laughs> at this this morning, and clearly, I I my assumption is that it's sort of some bitter Villa fans have come in and voted for. Uh, what for players to be man of the match because second and third place were Cucho Hernandez and Christian Cabaselli. Um, <laughs> who was number one? <laughs> number like, who, one. Yeah, was... who's number one? Let's have a guess. So uh, they were in the squad. Oh, they played. They played the uh, the full ninety minutes. Oh, okay. Ben Foster. It was Ben Foster. Yeah, <laughs> Ben Foster, who had what one shot to save, I think, all game. Um, yeah, he got got man of the match. Uh, yeah, his mere presence forced Villa to miss all those long-range efforts from 20 and 30 yards uh, high, wide and handsome. So, uh, yeah, well played, Ben. Good from Ben. Yeah, not much from uh, from either Cucho or Cabaselli. Um, I think they came on after the, uh, the, the the board went up for uh, the additional minutes. But, Jason, those, let, let's talk about those. Who were the, the best performers? What was it for you that that loser really added to it? When did you notice him the, the most? I think with Loser, we know what he's capable of. We've we've seen when he has played in recent months after his difficult starts of the season, his ability on the ball. And I think it's not just how he performed yesterday, but how we set up as a team. We we had that sort of four three three formation when Villa had the ball. It looked more like a sort of four five one at times with either Sarah or Dennis occasionally sort of pushing out and putting some pressure if they if they felt it was right on the ball uh, on the on the villa defenders but with those two wide men either side and king up front in the middle all of a sudden we had we had an out didn't we whereas last week against brighton it, it we never really felt comfortable on the ball in possession of the ball whereas yesterday i thought we did a lot more and and you got loser finding space sort of between the lines who was then sort of, even if pressure was put on him, he did very well at sort of turning out of trouble, 
giving himself a bit of space. And then he had options of players to pass to. He had Saar on the right, Dennis on the left, all king up the middle. Yeah, he was able then to put his, his sort of talents to good use, if you like. But what, did you feel that he was told to do that do you think there was a you know that whole thing about you know with the press conference post brighton what roy was sort of saying it always felt like you know he was slung the forward and attacking as attackers on just to do their job and didn't really have a a plan for them did it seem like he'd finally got the players he wanted and, and had a plan in action in terms of how we were going to score goals i think so yeah obviously set up in this 4-3-3 slash 4-5-1 formation gives you that extra body in midfield as well and i sort of talked about before when we were looking at a 442 what would you like in a 442 in midfield you have a sort of someone sitting and someone running whereas now with the three you've got loser sort of I say sitting but he did manage to get himself forward as well but just as a sort of line as the as the deeper of the three the guy that can sort of ping those passes around Sissoko sort of doing that vertical running sort of box to box type job and then you can bring in someone like cleverly rather than playing him on the left you're allowing him to play more central because Dennis is dropping back on the left hand side cleverly can then do what he does well and that sort of disrupt and sort of hair about the pitch biting into tackles um, then also supporting the, 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 the forward momentum as well so I think that probably freed up a bit of space for loser as well to be able to find a space give himself a bit of time and then like I say you've got options left right and up through the middle for pinging passes to um which yeah suited loser down to down to the ground and then if you look at his involvement for the for the winning goal again found the space made a run checked back because he needs yet yeah, looking for players for support his cross ball then to to Saar was pinpoint and and people are talking about Saar's delivery for the goal being a, an excellent ball in losers was just as good to find Saar out in space on the right hand side what I loved about that that little move from loser Jace was that he just showed so much poise and you mentioned that that little cutback he just changed the direction of his body and the ball didn't he cut back inside a simple simple move but hugely hugely effective and that and it's players that are in control and confident that do that, aren't they? They don't panic. They don't necessarily look for the the, the ball straight away. They know they're confident enough to to move the ball. And it's a simple movement, but someone who who knows what they wanted to do and someone that knows how they had to what they had to do to enable them to do it. And I just showed it saw in that little little moment there, someone who's going to be really really key. Someone who they want to keep the forward momentum going. And I, I just thought it was. A lovely little movement of that, a lovely little movement. And, and like you say, a, a superb ball into, into Saar and the, and the rest we know is uh, is history. I actually went, oh. In the moments where he sort of held up the ball loser, almost like the attack had sort of just lost all its momentum. And the fact that he dug out of it and he got that ball to Saar. And I did enjoy the use of, uh, in the goal, Kiko running on. And Saar, I mean, amazingly, the way he sort of swiveled his, his leg around to what seemed to be a ball through to Kiko, but bent it through perfectly onto Emmanuel Dennis, who fought his way past Ashley Young to, to get on the end of that ball. Dennis, different character again, Mike. We've, you know, we, we talked about him having, well, I think I said recently about him having a, you know, the Igalos about him recently because he just had to score a goal and not necessarily, you know, being part of that attack as a, as a unit. Ishmael Asar, was it Ishmael Asar, do you think, that just gives him, maybe not the focus, that gives him the freedom to be the full-on Dennis that we, we've grown to love? I mean, he's always going to be that sort of sort of player, isn't he? Slightly mercurial, I think. He's going to be in and out. He wears his heart on his sleeve. He's 100 miles an hour. 
Um, that's that's just the player Emmanuel Dennis is, and I think players like that can have pretty big ups and ups and downs in in terms of their performances. Yesterday, he seemed to be. Uh, fully on it, you know. In the roundup on match of the day, they were talking about how Villa couldn't live with him, and and that's absolutely right because when when he is up for it and when he is on it, he can't live with him. He's he's like a jack in the box. He's up and down. He's skillful. He's he can beat a man. He's he's capable of having a having a shot, which he did yesterday. It forced a really really good save from Martinez relatively early on, didn't he? And I, and I do wonder whether it's just as a forward player joked earlier about the game about the result not being a bit being surprising but a team that hadn't scored for for so long there wasn't really any signs of lacking in that confidence yesterday was there I didn't think they looked they looked decent going forward they looked decent as a threat away from home and I just wonder whether the impact knowing that you've got someone like Imran Loser who is perhaps going to make something happen and of course it's Mela Sarr who's whose pace and, again, poise from him, I thought, yesterday, is going to ask questions of defenders and is going to free you up space and time. I wonder whether that combination fed into Emmanuel Dennis and he's thinking, right, we're more of an, an attacking unit now. I'm, I'm sort of able to go out there and, and prove it, whether it's a sort of slightly subconscious thing. And it was a, it was a, a great performance from him and we're going to need that for, for the rest of the season in. Well, you know, we talked last week about how Jao Pedro coming on, you know, the whole team last week felt like a bunch of players playing as good as they can, not playing as as a team. But that forward three just felt like a unit. I know they haven't played with each other since November, since Ismail Asaga injured. It's almost like they just picked up. And that combination is is the strength for, for them. Not necessarily, you know, even though Jao Pedro's been scoring some goals. All of a sudden he feels, you know, he couldn't play yesterday, but he feels a, a distant choice for for starting elevens. What about the other player that keeps coming up? We you know we asked us your, what was great about yesterday on our Twitter feed at Watford Podcast. A name that keeps coming up, Jason, and it's it's one of those names that that very easily gets dismissed as not a top player, but can do a job. Mister Craig Cathcart, another. Well, I don't want to say defensive masterclass, but you know what I mean. He he put on a, you know a very strong performance yesterday, didn't he, Jason? He did, absolutely. And I sort of come back to what I've said in, in recent podcasts where I feel Cathcart's always better off when he's not having to worry and coach through the, the centre-back playing alongside him, which he doesn't need to in Samir. And the thing with centre-back sometimes is that you almost don't want to notice them on the pitch. Cathcart, for me, if he has a sort of weaker element to his game, it's when teams try to play through the middle, sort of play through and sort of play defence splitting passes. I think sometimes he gets caught, striker on his shoulder, loses concentration, player gets in behind him. I think that happened once yesterday when Danny Ings was offside anyway, that one where he hit the post. Other than that, he was he was pretty solid. And I think it's telling that Villa were restricted to taking pot shots from, from 20 and 30 yards out because... Cathcart, but let's let's bring in the whole defence in this as well as a uh, as a unit. They again sort of very compact, sort of restricted any space. Ings, other than that chance, had had very little. There was that early non penalty shout. It wasn't a penalty, absolutely not. Var made the right decision there, and and yeah, and the strikers had very little joy out of out of the um, centre backs, out of Cathcart or Samir. Um, and yeah, again, it was a. a a solid performance. That's what you want from your from your centre backs. It, it doesn't have to be any fuss about it. You know, it doesn't any doesn't have to be anything special. No, nothing fancy. Solid. Just stop them from playing. Um, and that's exactly what he did yesterday. We were in a very different position, Mike. Yesterday, 
being ahead very late on. Yes, we, we'd been ahead against Brentford and didn't hold on. And we were technically ahead of, of West Ham, but that was very early in the game. But the fact that we were holding on, and Toby Gillies brought that up, you know, seeing that game out, in truth, he thought relatively comfortably. And that's not a skill we've been known for, mentally so clearly improved. Do you think that's just the different situation we showed ourselves in, Mike? Or you, and did you always think it, it could be there? Or is that a Roy thing? I tell you what, it wasn't very comfortable following it from from afar. I was still in the Emirates. I was working at Arsenal yesterday, and all the all the final results come through. And ours was a latest score for at what felt like about half an hour. I think it was. It, we got to a hundred minutes. I think didn't it? It was sort of supposed to be eight or nine added minutes. And oh gosh. But, and it, this is interesting actually, it's a good point because I, I listened to Roy Hodgson straight straight after the game and he he made quite a, a big deal about this, saying how bad it would have been had we con- conceded. You know, he said, I think he called it, it would have been a dagger to the heart, which is suitably uh, emotive, isn't it, for us football fans? We don't, we like to go over the top. But that, that, that is exactly what it would have been had we, had we conceded. Uh, an away game in which we'd executed the plan perfectly to then go and let one in in the 95th 96th minute would have been you know heartbreaking and uh, you know we don't need to talk about it because it didn't happen but uh, the, the point is a good one we did see it out pretty comfortably and I think that's what comes of all the what in the previous games has been termed fairly negative stuff which is basically absorbing nullifying neutralizing the opposition they ran out of ideas in the full 90, so I don't really think that they ever felt like they were going to break through by that stage. And that's because Watford had worked so incredibly hard, so tirelessly, done what they'd been working on the training ground in terms of being organised, shut Villa down. They didn't have an answer. I think everything points to the fact that it was a relatively, you know, it's never comfortable 1-0 with, with minutes left, is it? We all know that. But scientifically speaking, if you like, if you're a neutral watching on, you would have probably thought, well, well, Watford have got this in the bag, which is extraordinary to say really isn't it for for us as as Watford supporters it's not something that that we're used to at all so I think that's a really good point John the fact that they were able to to see the game through uh, and to get it over the line with a narrow victory almost sort of makes it even better you know but Burnley had their 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 stunning 3-0 win against Brighton you could argue that's almost a little bit of an anomaly they're not going to go to too many clubs that are better than them and win win 3-0 they just had one of their those afternoons I think whereas for Watford to execute a game plan in which the margins are very very fine and then to ultimately see it through with relative comfort is something to take great heart and and also great pride in because we've been pretty down on this Watford side over the last couple of weeks we've you know we've been you know there, ha- there hasn't been much to cheer about they haven't given us much to to be hopeful about so for them to turn around and deliver a sort of really organized professional performance like that and to and to see it through i think is that yeah pride is is is, is a word that might get might get overlooked in the in the in the coming days and i think that's one that we should be allowed to to focus on really really good stuff and yeah it's uh, it's a good point from toby it's fair to say as well that not not only did we hold firm but i think after we scored we created the the best two chances of that period anyway you had Cleverly's shot, which, okay, probably a, a half chance, but better than anything Villa created. Um, and then Josh King's chance, which he'll probably be disappointed he didn't score. I think the ball might have been slightly behind him, but he got still got a firm connection on it. Martinez was in the right place to save it. But yeah, we, we were still the ones creating chances, whereas Villa was still restricted to sort of half chances, pot shots from outside the area again. But what was it? 
all down to the returning of Ishmael Assar. I'm not saying he's superhuman, super Ishmael Assar. He's got the skills and he is the best player we, we have. Do you think, though, just having a player of his level around the place, maybe for someone like Kiko, it's reassurance. Maybe for someone like Dennis, it's the fact that he isn't the focus. Maybe someone like Joshua King means that he's not going to necessarily have the the burden of having to be the goal scorer. And, and that sort of mental release, maybe having Saar in the squad, is the biggest thing as well as all his wonderful footballing attributes that he can bring. What, where do you think he, he helped the most yesterday? He makes the team better, is, is the bottom line. I don't, he doesn't have to be playing amazingly for 90 minutes to have a huge impact on the, on the side. Any defence, I've said it before, any defence that looks at Watford's side and sees Ismail Assar knows they have to have a plan for him. They need to be rigorous. They need to be switched on to deal with him because we saw it in the first half, didn't we, with that uh, with that Dennis chance with the with the that forced the great save from Martinez. Um, we questioned or, or wondered or worried whether how, what sort of impact his injury is gonna was going to have on him because when you've got explosive pace like Ismail Assar, you do worry that a, a knee injury might might impact on that. Well, we saw him break from within his own half, didn't we? Down that down that right flank. Uh, left it, left his man for dust, and then unleashed a, a perfect ball to to Emmanuel Dennis to do his thing. So, I think that showed exactly what he's capable of: pace, and then the ability to to pick a pass. You know that some people at this level are better with the ball than others. You know, it's, it's, and he's just one of those. He's got a he's got a mastery of it, and he doesn't. That's what I mean when I say he doesn't need to be having a huge impact from minute zero to minute ninety because. All it takes with him is that little bit of quality. Dennis could have scored then, all down to Ismail Assar. Dennis did score, with, and it was a wonderful ball in from him. It was, it was Delafeu in the semi-final-esque, wasn't it? The way he sort of managed to, to managed to sort of wrap his foot round up and over. The defender sort of stood off him, thinking, expecting him to try and knock it past him and perhaps get to the byline and uh, and cut it back. But instead, he thought, right, sod this. I'll just sandwich it over the top of your over your head, and 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 that's the sort of thing that that he can do. And that's the sort of thing that is going to be very, very important for this Watford side who are not going to create chance after chance after chance after chance. They are going to perhaps fashion three or four good opportunities in which we need to take one or two of them to to win the game. And he is absolutely instrumental in making sure that those chances are going to be as good as possible. Again, his you know late on his work to get that ball into to Josh King was 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 brilliant. So there's three opportunities there that could could have resulted in a goal, all stemming from from Ismail Assar. And I think that that answers the question. But also, I think we we touched on it earlier with with how Emmanuel Dennis played and how he looked just as an attacking threat as a as a unit. He just makes the whole side better, and I think he brings belief. So it's it's double pronged. It's sort of um, it's it's, uh, it's psychological and you know and what he actually does on the pitch so it's a it's a two-pronged attack when it comes to to, to Ismail Assar I think. You asked the question there John about what difference does it bring to the Watford side I think we should also look at what difference it brought between the two teams yesterday talk about Saar on the right hand side Dennis on the left hand side and sort of how it's given us options right across the pitch you look at what Villa were doing and yes they had controlled a lot of the possession at times yes they did have all these sort of efforts we talked about already but it was the quality of the chances that, that Watford had because of 
those attacking options down left and right hand side. I've already said that we had the best two chances after we scored. We've talked about the Dennis chance. There was the Sissoko chance as well and the goal itself. We probably had sort of the four or five best chances, best quality chances throughout the whole game. And we're the away side playing that counter-attacking football. And that's what it brings to us. And just to sort of come back to the to the goal as well, Mike was quite rightly sort of picked out Sars cross for the ball. I actually checked sort of back on the, on the replay on Match of the Day last night and counted there were seven Villa defenders in the box. We had two players in there. That ball absolutely had to be on the money where Dennis was going to get to it for it to count. As you said, he got it absolutely bang on. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. In the week, I was looking through social media, and you saw a lot of people, Mike, harking back and wishing, because of where we were and how we've been playing, that they were the 2018-2019 Watford squad were, were back. They, they missed them. They feel like they, they have a connection with them. And I find that quite hard, because we had a great start to that season. We had the FA Cup run. But I, I, don't, I find it quite hard to agree that that's a team I, I want back. I didn't feel like I connected with them. And I suppose it's that's what people are really have been wanting so, so much, is a connection with this team. And a win, of course, gives us huge levels of connection because of that shared moment, that shared exhilaration. And seeing a couple of pictures, one with uh, Dennis, he posted on his, his Twitter, you know, him taking a selfie with a bunch of young celebrating Watford fans. We see the header on Watford's Twitter. Imran Loser, arms raised. Yeah, he's wearing big, thick Arctic gloves, but his arms raised in celebration after that goal. And generally, Kamara. He just, he, out of all of them, there just seems to be this connection that he has made with these with Watford fans since he turned up just a few weeks ago. Do you find that there's also that it would be it's been hard to connect with these 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 boys? So I think there's a lot of a lot of reasons for for dealing, feeling disconnected. And I did a little Twitter thread last week, sort of looking a little bit deeper into why people might be feeling slightly disconnected from Watford, whether it's pandemic, whether it's lack of communication, a whole host of reasons it could be. But I think there's there's one obvious reason why people are feeling perhaps a little bit detached and a little bit down, and that's because. Watford have been really, really poor. The results have been grim and watching your team lose week in, week out isn't necessarily much fun. You know, those of us that were there at, at Brighton last weekend won't remember that for, for, for the right reasons for very long. So 
I think perhaps people looking back to recent previous seasons are doing so and saying they felt more connected, basically because those players were better and they were put on the whole put before turning in, in, in better performances on a more regular basis, even though that, that cup final season ended pretty poorly. I think the squad of players we had available to us was was ultimately better. So perhaps that, that's where where that that comes from. But there's one player in his current squad who seems to have hit the hit the mark really really quickly, and and it, it intrigues me just to watch him as a, a case study in in terms of this this question of feeling connected. And it, that's Hassan Kamara, and it, it helps that he's come in to a specialist spot at left back and played really really well. He looks like a proper left back. He's played superbly. He's all action, all effort, and that helps. You know, we've had a tough time of it at left back. Adam Messina has battled manfully at, at, at that at that position uh, for a, for a couple of seasons. We know we know he's not really up to up to the Premier League standard. Danny Rose has obviously been a, a an issue, and and that's a chapter that we're we're glad has closed. So left back has been an issue. Hassan Kamara has come in and looks like he solved it. So that's a massive tick for him and helps with, with supporters feeling on board with him. But I think it's it's more than that, isn't it? It's the way he holds himself, conducts himself, fist bumping the crowd, getting the crowd going, showing some sort of awareness that the, the crowd are there and the importance they can play actually at the matches. But also he's, he's social as well. Now, players on social media post a lot. Thanks very much for the support. We appreciate you travelling up the motorway to see us in terrible conditions. We could hear you. You're great. Thanks very much. We go again. There are a dime a dozen, those sort of posts. His are slightly different, aren't they? And I think his yesterday was a, was a nice one. This isn't over yet. And a picture of him sort of punching the air. And it, what it feels like with him is that it's a little bit more humility, perhaps. A little bit more knowing that less is more, perhaps, with those social posts. It feels like it's actually coming from him. Yeah, I think it feels like he is actually talking to us like we're adults. Rather than this yeah. this weird yeah. fan person who they think they're talking to, it feels like he's talking. Well, not necessarily to us. adults. In it together, in it together, as as equals, as part of the same team. No, but it's a thing. Like sometimes you say those posts, which for me have no meaning behind them. Saying, "Oh, you were great. We could hear you." Like those posts, they mean nothing to me. It's like you've been told to say that. You're just putting something out there to say thank you, but really. Everything Kamama's put out there on Twitter feels real. It feels exactly like he's talking to us like we're not idiots. I know the others don't talk to us like that necessarily, but it just feels more like, really sorry, we should do better. You know, and this is not over yet. Like I say, they're the things that feel like he's talking to us and he's being honest with us. Jason, what about you? What what what, what connects you with a, with, a, with a team normally? Maybe not just this team, but normally any Watford team of the past. What is it that you feel a deeper connection with them? I guess what you want to see, I think applies for me, is sort of a, a bit of fight and a bit of spirit. We're, we're having this conversation not long after the, the, the Brighton game last week when we talked last week about it, how we were quite passive throughout the game Colin Colin talked about that really well last week and and I think that's where this disconnect sort of has come from um sort of performances like that what I'd like to see is that sort of spirit fight passion easy words to, to trip off the tongue but a team that potentially is is sort of greater than the sum of its parts perhaps they're achieving things that are against the odds sometimes they might not sometimes that might not be good enough, but at least if you can see that the willing is there, that they are trying at least to to get out of a situation, um, trying to make something happen. 
then you, you still have that connect with the side. I, we've talked recently about Ray Lewington's side when, when he was manager here previously. And I think that's a good example. We had the terrible financial situation around the club at the time and we know the steps that the, the players took to try and help out in that regard. They also had a, a couple of good um, runs to both FA Cup and League Cup semi-finals and that was sort of achieving something that we didn't think was possible with that side. Characters in that side, Jase, as well. Robbo, Daesh, Micah Hyde, Jono, Tommy Smith. Even guys that had come back, that had come sort of from maybe higher up the tree that sort of had their careers and were maybe towards the end, um, sort of players like Cox and Ardley that you, I, yeah. I certainly felt a connection with those guys as well. You sort of see these guys coming in, maybe you've already seen the best part of their careers and you think, okay, what are you going to do for Watford? But they, they, they didn't sort of tail off. They weren't winding down. They, they had something about them that wanted to contribute to the cause for Watford. Mike, you said characters there. What do you mean by characters? Do you think there aren't any characters in this team? Are there other characters in modern day football? It is an interesting one, isn't it? And it's footballers are becoming more and more like feeling more and more like movie stars. And we, when we talk about feeling detached from Watford, I often think about, well, God, can you imagine what it must feel like to be a Manchester City fan or a Chelsea fan or a United fan, where really those players are. They're just so far away from the fan. The chances of, of ever really interacting with them or feeling like you understand them or know them is is so so limited and and that's it's the same to a degree at Watford, but it just it, it is different. And and what what makes characters? I think it's sort of players who can express themselves on the pitch in a, in a certain way. I mentioned, you know, Robbo and Sean Dyche. They were, you know, rabble-rousers, weren't they, on the pitch. Um, Jono, was, he felt like a bit of a, a character, someone who felt like he, he enjoyed being out there and he was playing to the best of his ability, someone who appreciated his his profession and, and did it with a with a smile on his face and did it to the to the best of his ability. Gifton Dunn-Williams was there as well. Tommy Smith, players that have come through with with Watford is 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 an obvious an obvious part of it as well isn't it the game has changed and your the sort of proximity and the sort of link to players has has changed i think and it's it is a fascinating one but i think the, the bottom line is it's is, is you want to see players you do want to see players who make an impact which is why i come back to to kamara's come in and done really well it's it's easy to like players who come in and, and do a job for, for the shirt. And you can take that all the way back to, was it 94 when we signed Colin Foster and, and, and Tommy Mooney and even people like Dennis Bailey. You know, Dennis Bailey didn't go on to have a, have a, 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 a hugely successful career with Watford, but he came in, made an impact, was a bit of a cult hero for a couple of games, scored some important goals in a, uh, in the, in a, in, in, in a relegation um, threatened campaign. And, you, you link to these guys straight away because you feel like you're in in the trenches with them. You feel like you're standing shoulder to shoulder with them because they are evidently going out there and, and and giving it all for the shirt and having having an impact. So <clears throat> I dare say there's a lot of people waking up this morning feeling a little bit better about life and and a little bit more connected because Watford have gone on the road, worked hard, dug in, uh, and and got the result. There's a whole load of things that that feed into it, but I think ultimately results. And looking like you're doing your very, very best is probably the uh, is probably the biggest contributing factor. And, and also, I think 
perhaps in terms of the, the team that I felt most connected to. I wonder if it's the first team you see. Well, I think you, you, can't, you can't have them. You're not allowed to have the first team because they're your first team. They're your, they are your genuine heroes, yeah, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and almost like you, you know, even though watching some of the, 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 the reviews of the season, looking back at those, still the first Watford team I saw in the mid to late 80s, they're, they're just special. Then I, I don't think we're allowed to include them as the, the team we connected with the most. Of course, they are the team we connected with the most because they were the one that made us connect with Watford Football Club. What, what apart from apart from that, that the, very early on, any any teams of, of recent years? Jason's mentioned that 2002-2003 team. What about you, Mike? Who, which teams do you like to connect with? Have you connected with? I love that. So I love that team that, that that Colin Foster, Tommy Mooney, that side that in the in the middle of the nineties when we pulled off that that escape with that with that performance at, uh, away at Peterborough, that famous four three. I loved that side. It felt like we were kind of bolted together. But but managed to managed to, to to come through it. On the other end of the spectrum, that the, the the years where we had double promotions, it sounds sounds obvious. But that that was a that was a great a great side. Again, it's sort of people like Jono in that side. Ninety seven, ninety eight, then ninety eight, ninety nine. When we when we went up again, that was good. But perhaps more more recently, that maybe that first. Premier League side under under the Potsos. I quite I, I like them. They were a little bit of a disparate mix, weren't they? We had players like Alan Neom who came in and, and did a job. We had Igalo who we who we didn't know was going to if they were going to be able to do it in the in the Premier League. And really, that was the making of Troy. I think in a way that season because it, it finally made it to the Premier League with Watford and. Him and Igalo had that incredible season, didn't they? The first year they scored so many, so many goals between them, and I think we upset a lot of people that that year. A lot of people expected Watford to go go straight back down, especially having ch- changed the manager, the head the head coach in the in the summer, got rid of Slav, who'd got us up, brought in Kike, and I thought that team was a real hard working side that that set the groundwork for some for some real fun in the in the coming years and I just quite like the fact that it was like going back to what Jason said greater than the sum of its parts greater than the sum of its parts and there's something really to to cherish about that I think I think the, the first Pozzo era team of 2012 yeah. 2013 because it was always like we were all on this unknown journey together and it all just started yeah. working out well and to the point where we weren't massively we were disappointed of course but we weren't ahead in our hands. The world is ending when we lost that playoff final to Crystal Palace. Um, the other team I really, really liked, the team you mentioned earlier, Mike, about the 99-2000 promotion team, or the team that was in the Premier League, I, because of what we'd gone through with them and they'd shown us in those double promotions, even though we were they were a, a, a worse team of players in many ways in terms of their ability than we have today... We were so much more forgiving of when things weren't going quite right in the Premier League because we had that connection with them. And I think in some ways, these last couple of months, those three months that we've had since our last win, you know, there was a time there where we didn't know these people. We had no connection with them. And so we weren't necessarily as forgiving of them when, uh, when things weren't going quite right. But we are going to be playing Crystal Palace. And this is the team that we now have. We are building this connection with them. What, we're not going to see much change, are we, Michael? From from Roy, you wouldn't have thought so. No, we know what we're going to get from Roy. He's shown that the he's shown that it can work. And the fact of the matter is, Watford have to win the match. There's there's no two ways about it. Obviously, we're we're waking up to we're recording on Sunday and feeling a lot better. We've won our first game in a long, long time. We've scored our first goal in a long, long time. So we're feeling great about it. But one of the other things that Roy said post match was, you know, we can't get carried away. We can't let it 
distract from the fact we still have an incredibly difficult job of work to do if we're even going to get close to staying up really the next key component of, of that is is beating Palace I don't think there's any ifs any buts I think there's now a question mark with you know Newcastle have gone on a really decent run of form six unbeaten whether even six wins which would get us to what 36 points that would get that would be touch and go now I think there was a, a feeling at one stage where it's going to be a very very low points total because there were four teams uh, who are really really struggling there's a couple of teams sort of heading back down towards the pack but they they've got so many more points in the bank that that it's that it's going to be difficult to turn it around so even six wins is going to be is going to be very very tight I think and if we don't beat Crystal Palace we're then uh, away at United home to Arsenal away at Wolves it's a, it's a massively tricky tricky run isn't it so we have to have to follow it up this is where Watford have have struggled previously and struggled this season they haven't been able to back up their decent results and decent performances with with good games in the, in the following fixture there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that they have to win this if we're going to be serious about mounting anything approaching uh, a survival bid so it will be tight, it will be cagey, there will be absolutely no doubt in my mind that Watford will be set up very, very difficult to beat. Crystal Palace will know what's what, what's about to face them, of course, because they were they were managed by Roy Hodgson previously. So they'll, they'll be no strangers to that. There'll be a little bit of edge to it, of course. Will Hughes is coming back. There's a bit of spice between Watford and, and Crystal Palace supporters. There's no love lost at all. So hopefully... With that in mind, and on the back of uh, a really, really good win at Villa Park, Watford supporters can go to, to Vicarage Road and really get involved in this match and try and make the atmosphere a really, really good one, spur them on from, from minute one. I know that's, that's what everyone, that everyone plans to do and wants to do, but if we can make it a good atmosphere, let the players know we're behind them, and, and hopefully they can deliver, because... I've got to say it again, they, they have to. It's three, anything other than three points... In reality, in my mind, is is pretty useless. Jason, are you looking forward to it? It, it feels like it's going to be a big game just because of everything Mike Mike's mentioned there. It'll be it'll be different atmosphere compared to the Brighton game. Yeah, absolutely. As Mike said, we've got a bit of a thing with Palace, haven't we? Over over recent years, sort of starting from the uh, the Holloway era and the the playoff final under the, uh, the the first season of the Potsos, and Palace will be nervous. They they're on a poor run at the moment. They, they've been struggling to uh, to pick up points recently. And they know that if we beat them on Wednesday, that could sort of really start to, to suck them into to the mix a little bit. We're sort of talking about these teams that are dropping in. Everton and Leeds will be, be feeling nervous because they're being sort of drawn in with Newcastle winning. If we can sort of close that gap between the bottom three and the teams that now Newcastle are a part of, that sort of brings all these teams back into the mix. I, I mentioned on our WhatsApp group yesterday and admonish myself straight away for saying that Brentford are only six points ahead and we've got two <laughs> games in hand on them. But you, you look at the Crystal Palace are only a, a couple of points ahead of them. And then you've got Villa and Leicester. I was talking to a Leicester um, mate uh, last week who he was worried about getting sucked into it. There's a whole clutch of teams up there that without getting too carried away, if we can close that gap, Hodgson used the word that we're still quite divorced from those teams at the moment. So we still need to put in a performance and it wouldn't take much for us to see that gap grow bigger again but if we can beat Palace it just closes that gap just a little bit more and those teams above us will start to feel a bit nervous and and there's a whole clutch of them there that if we could suck one or two back in then we've 
got a chance. Careful, Jace, don't do it. Stop. It's the hope of the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> they've got to follow it up, lads. They've just got to you follow do. it up. Looking at some of the, you know, their recent results, they, they've hardly won. I mean, this year they haven't won apart from they've won two FA Cup games this calendar year. And that's it. They won a lot in December, but they, they were against Norwich and against Everton. So they're not that, you know, that, that feeling that we had against West Ham where it didn't feel like there was a chasm between Watford and West Ham and it didn't feel like there was a chasm between Watford and Aston Villa yesterday at all. Yeah. You know, this, this the, game is, is more, than, more than gettable. It's winnable. It's absolutely winnable. And so, therefore, go and win it. It's, there's nothing to, nothing to fear anymore. We've, got nothing, we've literally got nothing to lose because it, we're, 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 we're right up against it. Yesterday keeps a, 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 the flicker alive, but we are right up against it. And there's no point being worrying about, <clears throat> about Palace's form in, in too much detail. You're right to point out, John, that they are struggling. And I heard, heard a, a slightly worried Crystal Palace fan on, on 606 last night. That's, you know, that's not indicative of their, their form or anything. But it just does go to show what you've both said is that there are clubs above us who, you know, us, Norwich and Burnley have been living with this all season. And there's other clubs who, who haven't necessarily considered them, themselves part of the, of, the, of the relegation scrap that might now, you know, I, I watched Brentford yesterday against, against Arsenal. Very, very flat, very, offered very, very little going forward. I think Arsenal had 15 corners, Brentford had none, um, only scored very, very late on. They will all of a sudden be thinking, crikey, this Premier League is, is harder than, than they thought. Everton are, are the other ones that I think are, are, are in a serious um, uh, potential for for sliding away but they have still got a two game buffer effectively between between the, between them and us but the fact that they haven't they haven't been living with relegation necessarily until now and they, you know they will have noticed Watford win yesterday they will have noticed Burnley win yesterday they will have noticed Norwich under Dean Smith looking like a very different proposition so there is an impact on on the others but the bottom line is for us three for for Norwich Burnley and uh, Watford they have to keep winning, otherwise they're done for. Crystal Palace is a game that Watford have to win. They can win it. There's absolutely no reason that if they turn up and perform like they did yesterday, they're going to need a little bit of luck. Like you know, with Danny Ings hit the post yesterday, the penalty could have gone um, gone against them on, a, on another day. We're going to need a little bit of luck. It's not an exact science, but there is no reason this Watford side cannot turn up on Wednesday and and, and beat Crystal Palace. They're there for the taking. Let's go and do it. Roy Hodgson is a wily old fox. He's been there before. This won't phase him. It won't phase Ray Lewington. He's got a job of work to do now in the next couple of days to make sure that this Watford side are aware of the task and they know how they're going to uh, they're going to deal, deal with it. Thank you very much, Michael. No problem. Let's keep going. You never know. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Uh, and we're back under the lights uh, at Vicarage Road on Wednesday for another from the Rookery End. Come on, you Owens! The Athletic.